Wonderful. And if you'd like, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 23, because starting today and the next three weeks, as we enter into our Thanksgiving season, right before Christmas, we're going to be looking at one of the most famous passages in the Bible, Psalm 23, maybe words that you are familiar with, but it's going to help us think about our own lives. In fact, as we do so, I just wanted to have a quick word association with two kinds of groups that go well together. Athletes have coaches, students have teachers, that's right. Employees have bosses, supervisors, children have parents, patients have doctors, and sheep have shepherds. That's right. Or at least they, they should, because sheep on their own are defenseless. In fact, that's why when we think about someone who is defenseless, we might even call them a helpless sheep. Because if you know anything about the animal of sheep... They don't have any natural way to protect themselves. They don't have any sharp teeth. They don't have sharp claws. Now, rams have horns, but even horns, when they go head-to-head -head with one another, they can even injure one another, which is why they need to have a good shepherd. That sheep even without having any defenses of their own, their life will be extended if they have a shepherd at hand. This is what God wants us to know about our own lives, to know what it means to trust God as our good shepherd. That's why today we'll be looking at what it means for God as our shepherd to protect us. In Psalm 23, verse 5 in particular, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is a description of God who, even in the presence of enemies, is providing a victory meal to show that God provides safety, protection, and victory as we trust in Him. In fact, this psalm, as with many of the psalms, was written by David. King David, who started off as a simple shepherd, and by God's inspiration and authority, shares these words with us. The Lord is my shepherd. David knew firsthand what it meant for God to provide protection from enemies, victory when he needed it most. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, David faced his most famous enemy. We could go back to associations, David and Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, begins with David 
was with his sheep watching over as the shepherd. David is told by his father, Jesse, to go and bring food to his brothers, David being the youngest in his family, because David's brothers were at war against Goliath's people. So David first starts by finding another shepherd to watch the flock, as a good shepherd should do. And he goes to bring food to his brothers, but on the way he hears the giant of a man, Goliath, shouting, saying awful things about God, saying awful things about Israel, God's people. The Bible even tells us that the Israel army was fearful, didn't want to do anything about it. And this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible's honest with us because the Israel soldiers start talking amongst themselves to say, well, if someone could defeat Goliath, that man would become a rich and famous man. In fact, they even add the detail that whoever defeats Goliath will never have to pay taxes again. That part got my attention as well. But in verse 26, David shows up and he doesn't think about the reward. Instead, he sees one thing that needs to happen. He says, Goliath needs to stop. It's disgraceful what Goliath was saying, and it needs to end. Verse 29, word gets to King Saul, and so David comes to share this with the king. And David says that he will go and fight. King Saul even looks at David and says, David, you're just a boy. Adding that Goliath, meanwhile, had been fighting and training since he was young. But in 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 through 38, here's what it says. David said to Saul the king, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from in the flock, I went after it struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. When it comes time for David to stand up for what is right, he recognizes that God was with him to both defend him from the lion and the bear, but also as he goes to confront Goliath. He bases this on God's protection to keep him safe and to keep his sheep safe. In fact, even as Lorray said, as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of a friend who went on into the military who said he was studying to be a doctor. So this weekend being Veterans Day, I was thinking of my friend because he wanted to be a doctor, so he went into the military because the military said he would be a, 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 a medic and never have to see any action. 
But sadly enough, tragedy struck. My friend as a combat medic studying to be a doctor hit a roadside bomb and we got word to pray for him because he had suffered brain damage and they had to rush him to go get the help he needed. My friend said afterward, he said, that he trusted that even in the middle of that, he knew God was with him because the safest place to be is in God's will. And after he had started to recover, he realized it wasn't just the bomb that he was struck by. He said he had another attack in his life. Even though he had started to recover, he wondered now if his dream of becoming a doctor would ever happen thinking that he had to get medical attention and wondering, is he going to have any brain damage enough to stop him from going on in his studies? But he realizes now, looking back, God was allowing him to be confronted in a different way, to deal with his pride. Because he realized if it wasn't for that, he could have gone on and become a doctor or become a, a veteran and thought, look how good he is, and look what he's achieved. Instead, the attack humbled him and allowed him to truly trust that even if he never became a doctor, that God was protecting him. Now, miraculously, my friend was able to go on and be a, a physician in his life, but his story rings true to know that even in the midst of Attacks. God provides protection. Just as David was confident to go and confront Goliath. Because the Lord is our shepherd. Same is true for us. We can be confident that God defends. And in 1 Samuel, it even says that King Saul realized, go, may God be with you. Now, for us, it means that at times we're going to need to rely on God to defend us, but other times it means that we need to trust to know how to confront and stand up for what is right. The reality is we wouldn't have time to go through every situation to apply this to, but that's why the gift of God's Word helps us by pointing to in Ephesians chapter 6, what's commonly called the armor of God. Verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Verse 11 tells us, We're gifted the full armor of God to, stay, to stand, take our stand against the devil's evil schemes. goes on to describe that we can stand our ground in verse 14 with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. But then, in verses 16 and 17, it tells us not just about things to protect us as armor, but a shield of faith. And in 17, the helmet of salvation, but also the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The reality is we need both. 
armor to protect us, as well as weapons in hand. Because the thing about this is they're not meant to just be a sword and a shield on the mantle to say, oh yeah, look how pretty that is, or even just a sword at your side and a shield on your back. We're meant to know how to use them, to understand their usefulness. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of when I lived in Korea, I went with some students who were studying the traditional sword fighting called kumdo. And I didn't know that day, I was just coming to observe, and they said, well, why don't you try? And as an American, I came up there and thought it was like a baseball bat and was swinging it like that, and they said, no, that's not how you do it. You need to stand a certain way and put your arms a certain way. And finally, by the end, I was able to start swinging it the right way to put the right force into it, because the other way around wouldn't be useful. The same is true for us. That's why we're taking a look at Psalm 23 to realize the Bible are not just words. They can be weapons to know how to apply this, to live this out, to know even when we feel surrounded. As David said, in the presence of enemies, the Lord prepares a feast. And even when facing Goliaths, we can hold on to the, the Bible and the protection that God gives to defend us in the ways we need defending, but also to confront according to His will. The next thing we can see about God's protection as our shepherd is that, sadly, the reason we need His protection is because in this life, in this world, God's enemies won't stop. You'd think even after talking with King Saul and then going to defeat Goliath that even the king at that time would have, would have celebrated what happened. But if you continue on, King Saul became jealous of David. And not, not just once, but twice threw a spear at David. The reality is that's what sin does. If we don't watch it, the more we try to do good in this world, the reality is we can end up causing problems. We can't stop jealousy on our own. We don't know how to defend, which is why Jesus tells us how to defend according to his word. In John 15, Jesus says, I, told, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And just before this in John 15, verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would, have, would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Jesus tells us the reason we need God as our shepherd 
is that enemies won't go away on their own. We're given the spiritual armor that we need because we are in a real conflict. Jesus even says the reason why danger exists is because of him. That's what Jesus came to take care of. He went to the cross for us. Verse 20, it says they persecuted Jesus, and so therefore, don't be surprised. You experience hate. They hated him first. Now, last Sunday, we talked about how God loves us first, but here we're told the opposite. When it comes to those without Jesus, there, there is no neutral towards God. Sometimes people might think, well, you know, maybe there's a God and God is good and all, but the reality is everyone born into this world is, is an enemy of God because of sin. That's what Romans chapter 8 tells us. Verses 8 through 10 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? There is no in-between. Without Jesus, without faith, to be spiritually dead. That's why verse 10 says, without God is to be his enemy. Without the love of Jesus, there is no wanting God or wanting God's ways. We see evidence of that when Jesus came and lived this world. People didn't just tolerate him. People didn't just ignore him and say, oh, maybe he'll go away. No, they hated him. He faced opposition from enemies because of sin. And then in Matthew 12, he tells us exactly why. Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a, good, a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a bad tree and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Now this whole passage does talk about forgiveness, but verse 32 might stand out because it sounds like there is a sin that cannot be forgiven. Jesus even says to speak against the Son of Man, it can be forgiven. So there is grace to be found. But why does Jesus focus on the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is needed in order for someone's heart to be changed. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness. That's why Jesus says blasphemy is unforgiven because it is completely disrespecting God's name. It's unforgivable, not because God is unwilling to forgive, but it means a person's heart is hardened against God. 
And without the Holy Spirit, this can't stop. But the best news is that a heart can be changed through repentance, through faith in Jesus. And once this happens, a person might struggle and wonder if they've committed this. Even as we read this, if you're asking, is this true for your life? The reality is the best evidence that you have not committed this is if you're wondering if you can find forgiveness. Because the reality is, if you are an enemy of God, people who don't have Jesus, they don't care. They don't wonder about sin. To illustrate this, Christian author C.S. Lewis says that hell is a door locked from the inside. He continues to say that there's two kinds of people. Those who look to God to say, your will be done. That's grace. That's forgiveness. But without Jesus, the other type of person, God says to you, says to them, may your will be done. Jesus says there are enemies. We will experience conflict and trouble and tribulation. But thankfully, Jesus gives forgiveness. He says he's overcome the world. He promises peace. That's why we put on the armor of God. And in addition, we're given an even better way to deal with those who hate. Instead of choosing to hate, in return, Jesus says in Matthew 5, to love our enemies. Verse 33, he says it this way, You have heard what it is. It was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is describing God's perfect love. His love is so powerful, it even extends love to enemies instead of choosing to hate. To do this, it means choosing holiness instead of happiness. Holiness to be like God, to be complete, whole, not lacking anything. That's why Psalm 23 starts off, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God's love can be shown to enemies because when you're loved by God, you think about it, what else do you need? What else would it gain to be loved by someone who's an enemy? Sure, it feels good to be appreciated, but when we face enemies, their incomplete love towards you won't change what Jesus gives, God's perfect love. 
And even though now we struggle to love perfectly, but Jesus promises that in his kingdom one day, there will never be any reason to hate. One day in eternity, we'll never experience hate again. Only God can promise that. And the first step, as we see here, is when other people are hostile. They expect hostility in return, but Jesus says love and expect nothing in return. When life doesn't go your way, Psalm 23 promises the feast on God's love, his goodness, his mercy, to know that Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, can change hearts to love even those who hate. It's only God's kindness that can do this. Which is why finally, when it comes to the protection of God as our shepherd, as Romans 8.31 tells us, Jesus is faithfully on our side. A small verse, but it asks that question, if God is for us, who can be against us? Do you remember playing as kids or playing sports with someone who just isn't doing the right thing and you might be tempted to say, whose side are you on anyway? We never have to wonder that about God. Last week in Hebrews 13, it told us that God will never leave or forsake, which means if you've placed your faith in Jesus, no individual can stand against you, no government, no invading army. Not one single situation or circumstance will stop God being on your side, even in the presence of enemies. 1 John 4 tells us this, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us and, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The protection our shepherd gives is not to fight against evil as if evil were an equal force in this world. All of history is not God versus the devil as if they were equals. Love versus hate, as if those were equals. Going back and forth, seeing who's going to win. No, the reality is that in the, in the beginning, there was only God. God is greater than everything. God goes on to create the world, including spiritual beings. Creates us as humanity, and sadly, the devil was cast out of heaven for trying to be like God. Humanity was deceived and rejected God wanting our own way. But instead of giving up on us, God decided to give us his one and only son. Jesus didn't ignore evil, but he came to give his life 
and put to death sin, the power of the devil, and every other opposition. We see that even in the life of Jesus. And as we think about this together, what it means to trust God as our shepherd to protect. Jesus himself didn't run from sin, but he didn't condemn. In John chapter 8, Jesus meets with a woman who was trapped, who was caught, and had nowhere to go. Chapter 8 starts by saying, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither then do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Verse 6 tells us the real reason for this situation, doesn't it? The religious leaders were using this woman to accuse Jesus. They didn't care about her, but they didn't realize that Jesus is the great shepherd who came to protect, not to condemn. When this woman was surrounded and trapped with the crowd turning on them, Jesus knew exactly what to do. He didn't yell. He didn't start with a long speech. He didn't go around and shame every one of them. What does Jesus do? He starts by writing on the ground. Now, many people have wondered, what did Jesus write on the ground? The reality is we're not told. Some people think maybe it was the names of all the men who had come to accuse this woman. Maybe Jesus was writing the Ten Commandments one by one to remind them who's in charge. I wonder if he just wrote a line, to write a line in the sand, so to speak, because the reality is we know what Jesus did after that. In fact, Jesus isn't the only one in the Bible who did this. Moses himself, when he came down from the mountain after meeting with God to bring us the Ten Commandments right from the very finger of God, he comes down to see what? People who were impatient and decided to create their own false golden image, an image of a calf, a young cow. Moses comes down to see people dancing and singing and worshiping and praying 
to a golden idol. So Moses draws a line. He gives people a chance. He says, either side with that fake, false, golden image or side with God. Sadly, to their demise, 3,000 of them decided, no, we're going to go with this golden image we decided to create moments ago. Even after this, Moses goes back to God to repent and ask for forgiveness. Similarly, Jesus calls out the people there. He said, if anyone is free from sin, then you can condemn. And one by one, they walk away, starting with the oldest. I like to think it's the oldest that probably have been around long enough to know better. Or maybe they were fearful that Jesus would start calling out their sin in front of everyone. One by one they left because no one was free from sin except for Jesus. Jesus remained, didn't he? And he had every right to condemn, but instead, Jesus remains to protect. The reality is as we think about God as our shepherd, he doesn't ignore our sin. But Jesus came to take our punishment upon the cross. And just as we hear from this, with this woman, he says to her to go and leave your sin. Only Jesus can do that to save us from sin. Being the good shepherd who lays down his life for us as sheep. God is for us who can be against us. And as we think about that this morning together, we all know what it's like to hear accusations, don't we? We live in a world that seems like it's just pointing fingers to say, which side are you on? Think about some of the wars and conflicts that are going on right now. Hear people say, pick a side. You're either for us or you're against us. But the reality is, if you think about it, it doesn't work to listen to the many voices that only point out problems without any actual solutions. The reality is we need a Savior. A Savior who came, who was condemned in our place, and who saves us from the accusers that we hear. When the evil one tempts, even when our own hearts can be overwhelmed and burdened. Whatever traps we feel like we're in, when we feel like we have nowhere else to go, the reality is we don't have to follow the same mistake that this crowd did, who pointed fingers, wanted to attack others, and even attack Jesus. Instead, we see a Savior, a protector, who shepherds, as we trust in him. Would you join me again in prayer this morning? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to know that you care for each of us by name. You know our futures. 
You've seen our past. Nothing is hidden from you. But instead of leaving us alone, instead of just allowing us to wander and try to figure out life by ourselves, thank you so much for sending Jesus to be our shepherd, to be our protector, to help us to know how to stand for what is right when we see evil, but to recognize the need for your mercy, to choose to love even if we are hated. God, this morning, if anyone here is holding on to any frustration, if anyone is dealing with any fear, would you help them by the power of your Spirit to lay that at the foot of the cross, to truly understand what it means for Jesus to side with us to know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, this world. Father, we look forward to one day knowing that you will right every wrong. That one day in your kingdom, there will be no more hatred, but perfect peace. Would you help us to continue to rely on your love and to stand up and be protected as we trust in you as our shepherd. In the powerful name of Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen.